John, we have a great opportunity today, and it's the beginning of something new for us. Yes, We're actually doing a video program, in essence, that uh, people will not only be able to ask their burning questions of faith, but you'll be able to provide uh, answers and biblical answers for them. Uh, you know, this is important to both of us, but I know teaching the Word is so important to you. Why is this answering of people's questions biblically so critical? Yeah, you know, I think it's critical because people have questions. Hmm. And so often, they don't know where to go for the answers to the questions. And so they're left, I think, with this idea that, well, maybe the Bible's not answering the questions that I have. And I think one of the reasons people wander away from the faith is because of this very thing. They haven't had someone to answer the questions that they're really asking. So I think that's what we're about here. We're, we're looking at questions that people are asking us. You know, they, they want to know. So this yeah. is exciting. And this is really part of your big dream in respect to what the ministry can do. Help us understand what that dream is that you've mentioned before. Yeah, I, I've numerous times mentioned that it's my dream that it would be impossible to live in Canada yeah. without having to decide what to do with Jesus. Yeah. So I know that not everyone's gonna come to Christ. I would just like to know that it's impossible to be born and to die in this land without at some point in time in your journey being confronted with Christ. And I would hope that we would just fill this nation with Christ, with the Word, and with the truth of God, so that everybody's talking about it. So that's, that's part of the dream that I have. That's fantastic. You know, right off the get-go, uh, we have people that are asking us questions all the time yeah. and would really like you to respond to some of them. And I think that's, that's wonderful that people care enough to ask, first of all. But can we jump right into some of the questions? Let's go. Okay. Well, just right off the bat, why is this important? Why is it that we have this uh, connection between how we live our lives and the truth of God's Word, in essence, what the show is all about? Why, why is that so important? Yeah, you know, we know that the Bible is an ancient book. It's completed 2,000 years ago. Uh, we know that it took about 1,600 years to write. And so we're looking at ancient literature, but isn't it fascinating that the ancient literature that we have before us, God's Word, is as relevant as if it was written last night. Mm -hmm. So I think part of what we're doing here is to help people to understand that with the issues that they're facing, there is actually something in Scripture that speaks directly to them. Yeah, you know, we always try and tell people that, you know, we want to introduce them to a God of love, but that a God that is very relevant and can be spoken to through His Word. So it's critical in this opportunity uh, for you to respond to these questions, I think is great. You know, people uh, not only uh, listen to you on the radio, but they read your blogs all the time as well. And so we got a, a question based on one of your blogs. Yeah. So let me just read you uh, a quote that they offer to us and then have you respond to it. The quote simply said, and this was yours, faith is real when it produces in an individual an intense hatred for sin and an ever-increasing appetite for holiness. When salvation is genuine, the convert surrenders his or her lifestyle into the hands of Jesus, allowing Jesus to be Lord over the way we live. So here's the question. How ought we to uh, uh, deal with those people who profess to be Christians, but their lifestyle seems very contrary to that? Yeah. Ben, if we could back up just a bit and, and just review what I wrote there, because for some people, that just doesn't register with them. Because for some of us, we've been taught that if I've prayed a sinner's prayer, that the actual prayer itself, if I felt it genuinely, is the saving element that I look back to. Mm -hmm. And so let's say I, I prayed the prayer five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, and that there's been nothing happening in my life for some people that's enough evidence that they're actually in Christ. So 
contrary to that, I mean, I've got my Bible open before me, and so I'm reading 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And then it adds, God's seed abides in him. So it seems like God plants something inside of us at the moment of the new birth. And that thing that gets planted means, and it says, he cannot keep on sinning because he's born of God. So I don't think that it means that, you know, we become sinless. In fact, I'm going to say that the longer that I've been in Christ, the more aware I've become of my innate sinfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, the more that I have come to know who Christ is, the more I've come to realize that sin is so unacceptable so that the life project is to put to death everything that displeases God. simply because it displeases God. If it displeases the one who loved me and redeemed me, I can't abide it even as he can't abide it. So I think there's that. So that second part of the question I I think you were asking is, what happens to the guy that just goes back into that previous form of lifestyle? I think that's what you're asking. So it would seem to me though there needs needs to be some evidence of our salvation then in how we go about living our lives. And we can't stay within the same patterns of life that we had before we came to the Lord. Would that be right? That's exactly right. In fact, you know, I've just read the ninth verse of 1 John 3, but the 10th verse says, by this it is evident that we are the children of God and who the children of, of the devil, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Yeah. So I would say at the very outset, I mean, one of the evidence markers that we're in Christ, and we love one another. We love brothers and sisters in the gospel, and that love is growing in acts of charity towards one another. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the markers that we have. I would argue another marker is that, as I've already stated, we have this intense hatred of sin, yeah. but we also have this desire to love God. Um, there is something that draws the heart of the believer. I mean, it just has awakened within me. I mean, when I hear of the beauty and the glory of my God, I find myself drawn and wanting more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you can't even tell a believer they should love God because they do love God. That's who they are. Yeah. So in a very practical sense, then, um, we know someone who has given their lives to the Lord, yeah. but we see the patterns of their life not changing. Right. What's my responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ? Yeah, I think one of the things that we need to do is be very careful because we need to love people. Uh, You and I know that we've been confronted by people in our past, everyone has Mm -hmm. been, uh, who's not a lover. I mean, they just simply are a a corrector and they just want to show how wrong everyone else is. We just react badly to that. And so if there's somebody out there that says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to correct everyone, and if they don't get corrected by me, they must not be in the Lord. I mean, we've met people like yeah, that. Yeah. And so I think a word of warning has to be said to individuals like that. They, too, have to ask the question, if I confront someone, I mean, what's my motivation? Mm-hmm. Is it because I want to throw them away, show them that I'm right, they're wrong, that kind of thing? Or is it because... I desperately want to draw them in to a relationship with God that they are supposed to have. Yeah. And that's my desire for them. And, and I guess it comes back to you, and I know uh, you've done a series on Corinthians where you talked about this a little bit. Um, we have to be careful of our motivation. Is our motivation to correct biblical, or is it preference, or is it things mm-hmm. I feel comfortable with? So we really need to know why we're confronting somebody and it's because of a biblical standard rather than just a preference. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up in an era when it was you know, really bad to have long hair on guys. It was bad to chew gum 
I remember that. Uh, girls were chastised on the length of their dresses. And, you know, there, there's a part of that that was biblical, but a part of it was so deeply cultural yeah. and that people were chastised because of cultural norms that had been established in the church. And they had everything to do with the kind of music that we played or liked listening to. And I mean, it just went on and on. The rules never stopped. Yeah. And so in the end, I think what we did is we drove people away from the gospel because in all of that stuff, they just never saw the good news, the good saving news of a God who loved them so much to reconcile them in their sin. Yeah. They never saw that. Yeah. I mean, they saw nothing but condemnation. So I want to be very careful when I say you have to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Uh, that's a calling of God. But when I say that, I recognize that that doesn't mean that we conform to every norm that is a part of a culture that some have just superimposed on the Christian faith. So what's the end goal? What are we trying to do yeah. when we see a brother that's not living a life that maybe uh, uh, portrays biblical standards or whatever? What's our end goal? How will we approach that person? Yeah, let's say we've got a guy who's living with his girlfriend. Okay. So there's a practical example. So what do I do? Well, I pull him aside and I say, can we talk? Can we go for coffee? You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, I really a fast, just hit him real quick. Yeah. I want to have time to discuss what the word says and call him to purity and holiness because my goal for him is that he would love God with all his heart. And I know he can't do that while he's being sexually immoral. Yeah. So my, my, my confrontation, if that's what it's called, and I think it is, yeah. it's, it's to say, brother, I want you to know the Lord God who is fierce in his holiness. Yeah. 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 I want you to love what he loves. Yeah. So when we start to do that, I mean, the, the response then can never be, you know, you don't care about me because clearly that person does. Yeah. I mean, the response is, yeah, I either want what God wants or I don't. But we've, we've actually, you know, we've set out a standard that, that people can understand. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, that helps them to understand the gospel, the love of Christ, but also the holiness of our God. Uh, the, the next question is actually related to that in some respects. Um, uh, it leads us to sort of the idea of salvation and what constitutes salvation. And there's a passage uh, in 1 John 2.29, uh, which says this, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is being born of him. So in essence, for some people, they might uh, um, uh, define this as meaning that if I live a good life, yeah. I'm okay, I'm a child of God. Yeah. Is that what that's saying? Well, no, because again, I mean, it's funny that we started in 1 John, yeah. so we're still here in 1 John, yeah. so every verse has to be read within the context in which it's given. Okay. I mean, we all know that, you know, what it is when a politician is quoted out of context and, yeah. you know, how people just rise up in anger by that and say, you know, that's not just to do that. And it's amazing how often we do that with the Bible. So the Bible is, you know, here in 1 John is giving us the evidence pattern in which one can, you know, can show whether or not one's in Christ or not. Mm -hmm. So it's saying to the person who claims that they're born again but doesn't love their brother, do what's righteous. That's evidence that you're born of God. Okay. So it's not saying if you find someone who doesn't know Christ and they're living a righteous life, doesn't that mean that they're born of God as well? You see, that's a different question. And so we're superimposing our question into the biblical question. So the Bible question is asking the person who claims to be in Christ but's not living that way, know this, they've got to be righteous. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Now we're asking a different question. We have to go to a different place in the Bible for that question. And that question is, what do we make of those people who have never heard of Christ? Right? I think that's, that's, right. that's what the person's really asking us. Yeah. And, and to that, I think where we're supposed to go is Romans chapter 1. Because that which is evident about God is plain to all of us, says Paul. And uh, he claims that there are, you know, five things, I'm going to argue, that are evident to every single individual, even if they've never heard the gospel. One, that God exists. I, I mean, two, that he created everything, and therefore I'm benefiting from what God has done. Okay. The air I breathe comes from God, right? The third thing is, I owe God an infinite debt of gratitude. Everyone knows that intuitively. You never heard the gospel. You know that you owe God that. Fourthly, you know You've not responded to God as you should. You ought to thank God in worship and gratefulness with everything you have, but nobody's done that. Instead, we complain and we move away from God. We move towards darkness. And the fifth thing, therefore, is that God is incensed because of our behavior. So everyone, if they reasoned their way through that, would come to that. Mm -hmm. So they would know somewhere I need to find mercy. That's what the gospel is. See, what's called natural revelation is what I've described. Natural revelation doesn't bring a person to reconciliation with God. It simply tells them, I'm not reconciled with God. Yeah, okay. So that's what the gospel is all about. You probably know people, and I know people, uh, that probably the way they live their lives are actually more good than some Christian people I know. But that's not the merits of our salvation. Yeah, even when um, I can't help but not resist now to, you know, to spiderweb just a little bit. But when we see a non-Christian living virtuously, mm-hmm. why is that? And the answer is because of God's common grace. God provides grace to all, even to unbelievers. But the grace that he provides to live decently and to make a culture that lives decently okay. is because of grace, not because of inner virtue. God is good to all. Mm-hmm. But we still need to confront our own sin patterns, and that's what the grace of Christ is all about at the cross. Unless they hear of the cross and God's redeeming love, mm-hmm. how can they come to know God and be reconciled to Him? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Good. Uh, we have a, another question, and uh, it's a bit more of a practical question, and, but I think it's a very relevant question for mm-hmm. us today because we're all, you know, the culture sort of seeks a, a health and fitness and all those wonderful things, which are good. Yeah. They're virtuous things to be after. Uh, but uh, uh, we get involved in a whole lot of different types of exercises and things of that nature. And this, this person is asking a very sincere question. She says, is it wrong for me to take a yoga class in an attempt to look, at, uh, look after my chronic pain and live a healthier lifestyle? Yeah. So is that wrong? <laughs> I'm not an expert on yoga. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you are, Ben, but yeah. I, I don't only know some of it. I do know that there are a number of branches of yoga. And I know that the root system of yoga comes out of the Hindu worldview. And I do know that um, it looks for altered states of consciousness so that one can be one with Brahman. And Brahman is not God as we understand him because Brahman is not a personal God, but Brahman is the force that pervades everything, kind of like the Star Wars force. So what you have is a religious premise upon which everything is based. And so what you're looking for is altered states of consciousness so you can be one with the oneness that pervades all things. Now, so in Hinduism, in fact, uh, light and darkness are all a part of the one but scripture, I mean, we've been in 1 John, for scripture says God is light 
in him, there is no darkness at all. So we never say, you know, that God is one with everything. Rather, we would make a radical distinction between God and everything else. God is the creator. Everything else is the creation. God is independent of all things. All things are dependent on God. So this is completely contrary to the Buddhist worldview and so, or the Hindu worldview as well. And so I guess here's what I would say. I don't think that a believer can practice some form of spirituality which is contrary to the scripture. Either you're loyal to Christ and are married to him or you're two-timing on him. Hmm. Now the question about, you know, how do I deal with chronic pain? Well, that's a medical question. Now, I mean, there are some excellent physiotherapists, for instance, my, doc, my daughter's one of them, mm-hmm. I mean, who can help you through that. There are a number of other programs that you, can, that you can deal with to help you with pain issues in your life. You don't have to turn to another religious system in order to get help from pain. Besides, I would argue, why are you join together with a group of believers and have them anoint you with oil and pray for you, and pray for your healing as well. Yeah. So all of that, I think I would say, but why would you turn to the gods that are not gods at all? So it's really not about the, the exercise or the therapy. It's about something that's much more deeper within the whole philosophy yeah. of yoga. And we have to be cautious, I guess, that if we went to a yoga class, that we wouldn't sort of be drawn in slowly to the more spiritual components of what yoga is about. Oh, I think that's exactly the case. So if it's just a matter of exercises, well, have at them, because if it's working, keep doing that. I mean, God has given grace uh, to people, regardless of the religious background, to help in the healing process. Uh, But we're saying something else about involving ourselves in different spiritualities. That's a great word. Thanks so much, John. You know, it's been a fantastic beginning to the Truth and Life Today show. And we look forward to hearing more questions from uh, our constituents and our listeners across the country. And uh, we just pray that have a real impact on their spiritual journey. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth and Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth and Life Today.